Welcome back to another episode of A Gift from Adversity. My name is Juila. I'm your host. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today we have a guest. His name is Michael Nunes, and it has been a pleasure getting to know him. Before I introduce him, I want to introduce my book. This is A Gift from Adversity, which is a book that I published in 2020. And this one is subtitled Overcoming Sexual Abuse, Domestic Violence, and Bullying and Homelessness. After I experienced all of this, I decided to write a book to tell my story, but not only that, to encourage others to speak out and share that their adversity, they have a tools and gift that can be saved. So thank you so much, Michael, for coming to Gift University today. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. I appreciate it. So Michael, can you please um, introduce yourself to our audience, who you are and what you do? Yeah, my name is Michael Nunes. Um, I'm, a Brock, I'm a Brockton resident. Um, I ran in the past for city council at large. I'm a small business owner, and I do real estate on the side. Great. How can people find out about you? Do you have a website? Do you have a social media handle that you can share? Yeah, I, my social media is just my name. I, I only use Facebook and Instagram right now. It's just Michael Noons. Instagram is the is same, Michael Noons with the underscore before Michael and after Michael. Um, right now, actually, I do actually just started up my Facebook page for my business is Dad's delivery at door services where we provide transportation right now in the Northeast region. Uh, we do moving full service and we do commercial moving as well. Well, thank you so much, Michael. So let's dive into the adversity. Well, can you tell our audience what was your adversity? My adversity um, when growing up, it's more of financial adversity. Uh, my parents, you know, like most immigrants struggled to make uh, the funds meet. So it was check by check, working two jobs. I actually had to assist them and their second job where they're going clean, uh, you know, dealerships, automobile dealerships, just to make it by. So it was really hard from that adversity that we had to suffer from the financial side. And how did it affect you growing up? Uh, affect me because, um, you know, I couldn't get the stuff that we always wanted. You know, we see other kids with video games, um, nice clothes. I mean, I'm not saying that we didn't have clothes and stuff, but we was more on a limit. You know, uh, maybe we get, you know, school shopping beginning of the school year then Christmas time. That's about it. But. You know, there's a lot of kids my parents had too, so that made it more difficult for the financial part. How many kids do they have? Um, my father has like, <laughs> I think he has like seven kids himself, and my mom has three. So, yeah. well, six plus three from his side. So my mom has six kids. It was six, it was all six growing up in the house. So it made it difficult Christmas time, Thanksgiving, all the 
holidays celebrate made it very difficult, but we managed. We're here. We're all still alive, happy and well. Can't complain now. You see, so when you were growing up as a, um, so you said your parents are immigrant? Yes, they came from Cape Verde Islands, the west coast of Africa. And did that kind of affect your childhood? Uh, yes, a little bit in school. Um, you know, they had a language barrier. So it's like homework. We didn't ask them for help. I asked my older brother, my older sister, if it was available. And if there wasn't, I just had to figure out how to do it myself. It's not like I could go and ask them, oh, you know, how you do this English work or how you do this history work when they came, you know, from the Cape Verde Islands. You know, they didn't go to school here, so that made it a big, big issue. Yeah, so it's sometimes um, I remember when I came to America and I didn't know English at all. It was a struggle. What was going on? Yeah, it becomes, a, a, you know, very struggling. Like you just said, if you don't know the major language spoken in this country, it's hard to just get by, you know, finding jobs that you could you could get if you're not speaking English and anything like that. So with their jobs, very limited. It was uh, factory work, warehouse work at minimum wage, uh, you know, had to pay the mortgage. That's one thing that I appreciate from my father. He purchased his house young. Um, so I helped out rather than paying rent. So that was really a blessing there. So you started to work for early age? Yeah, yeah, I always had like uh, entrepreneurship in, in me. Um, I helped them. It was it was only on the weekends because you don't have school, but I helped them at the dealership clean up. Um, sometimes it was weekdays, but it was early, right after school. I'd you know come and help them just to get it done, go home, school, work. Uh, then I you know I was thinking I was like fourteen years old. I just started walking around with a lawnmower trying to make my own money, um, cut grass and stuff. Then I started working at 16 years old at Walgreens in Brockton. And I was there for quite some time. So being kind of independent and having a job that early where other kids maybe didn't have to work that hard on top of the schoolwork, how did it like make you feel like frustration, maybe not fair type of feeling, if you remember? Well, I was actually more frustrated that I couldn't get a job, um, you know, a decent paying job when I was 14, 15, until I had to wait till I was 16. And that's when actually things was better off for me. Um, you know, those the work school uh, permits, you had to get one of those. So those limits of hours I could work, it really didn't affect my, my school. As, you know, as much actually helped because I could purchase my own clothes. I could feel, you know, more comfortable in my own skin. I have money. I go to school when I had to buy things, I buy it. If I had a project, I buy it myself. You know, so my parents, I don't have to depend on my parents no more. So they didn't have, they had one less to worry about of a child, you know, financially wise at least. Yeah, it's tough when you see, especially other kids having these privileges and you don't. 
and you have to work out the hard. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it really is. It's one thing, but like I said, I I, I didn't take it for granted. I appreciate it. Um, you know, Wagner really helped me out. I was there for three years before I left, uh, and it, you know, it was stepping stone for me, which now you know, I moved on, of course. But now I have my own little business. You know, make a lot more money. It showed how you know important money is in American life. Um, with that, without money, you're not gonna do nothing. In this land, you need money for everything. So it's for you more frustration that you couldn't get the job, not like comparing to other kids and their privileges. Yeah, it was yeah, it was very frustrating. I tried to get you know work. Nobody wanted to hire fourteen years old. Um, you know, there's a lot of risk with it. You know, it's not worth it for someone to hire a 14 year old because the company has to follow strict rules and regulation, you know, which the state implicated uh, certain hours we could work. I think at that time it was only like 20 hours a week part time. So they didn't, you know, they didn't have space for that. They had limited space for those positions. Um, so when I was 16, uh, I still had, you know, restrictions and stuff. Eight hour, can't work more than eight hour days or 36 hour weeks. Um, but, you know, I, I managed to get by and do multiple jobs. I had Walgreens and I did my things on the side, you know, just try to get some funds for myself. And how were you doing with your homework and then after school activities? I'm sure you have to give up some after school activities and sports and stuff. Yeah, I, um, for me, you know, honestly, I was never into the sports stuff. Um, but activities, that's activities. Yeah, there was no more hanging around with my friends, um, doing any of that stuff. Anything at the school was just school, riding the bus, go home, and that was it. Just you know, school work, school work, and that was about it for a few for some for um, quite some time. That was it. Yeah. How did you do with school grading stuff? Um, average. Um, I'm not gonna. You know, say I was a great student, but I was average. I passed. I never stayed back, so I'm, you know, happy about that. Uh, graduated on time, and I I did some college, um, but like I said, I was suffering from the financial part, um, so I had to leave school and just start my own business. I always plan on going back, but you know, we'll see what happens. So you said you started college. Yeah, I started college. I did some architecture, architecture, um, and some some engineering. So I still have it in the back of my head like it was yesterday. So I still remember a lot of stuff. I could just go and pick up where I left off. I think I have like about forty credits, which is enough just for an associate degree. But I never even got that. But I do plan and hope to go back one day. Yeah, it's very tough when you have when you don't have the uh, the financial buffer. Yeah, very tough. Yeah, uh, college was very tough for me. Uh, that's where it got serious. When um, you know, high school is one thing, but college work is a whole different. Uh, they give you a project, you got to complete it. Especially the architecture, they give you a project something that would take me probably two weeks in high school. They expected it in three days. So I'm like, Jesus, I got to spend hours, eight hours each day on this. That's a whole work shift. Um, 
so my job position was limited. Uh, it was more like an Uber driver, which I did do. But then you have to keep working to pay your car note because, you you know, you have a car to pay. So every time you're working, it takes away from your school, you know, your schoolwork. So it's very, it was very struggling. It was, I was at a very low point in my life when I was in school and in college at that. It was very, I was very struggling with it. So you decided to drop out? Yeah, I don't like saying drop out because um, I do plan on going back. I just said, uh, you know, I suspended myself maybe from school, uh, from college, temporary leave. Sure. Yeah, it's it's very hard. Um, so just to share my story, when I became homeless in Tokyo, obviously I had no money to go to college or anything. I was just working. And I remember when I got a scholarship to come to Berkeley College of Music, it was some financial visa for as an international student because we are restricted to work in the States as an international student on F1 visa. You have to show at least a few years of financial stability. And I didn't have support, financial support, so I had to keep saving it to qualify me to be able to get a visa. So then when I came here, I could not work as a student visa status. So last semester, I, I ran out money and I took the cheapest flight to Japan. And I worked probably 20 hours a day. And I saved like two, three thousand dollars and it paid off the last portion of the tuition. It was very hard. Yeah, I can't imagine. Uh, that's 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 difficult because I actually remember um, some of my friends were in the same situation. It was from Lebanon on a student visa and there was always struggling. And I, I didn't know that. I'm like, what well, do just get a job. He's like, oh, we can't. We're not allowed to. I'm like, oh, that's that's kind of weird. Why would they do that? But he's, that's just the laws. I'm like, oh, man, should not be like that. It makes it difficult. It's like, hey, come to school from your country, but you can't work. And like, that's kind of an oxymoron. It makes no sense. But, hey, who am I to write the laws, right? He has no idea why, but you are allowed to work on campus with minimum wage. Yeah. Yeah, the work, the work study. But that's only 20 hours a week. Yeah, that's just probably enough for your meals. I don't know why we're not allowed to work outside of campus. Yeah, I can't answer that one either. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> yeah. But I think to have this conversation, when you have less privilege in your life and you don't have that financial buffer from your parents and then you as young self start to have, have to work at early age and then establish yourself. I think there's some mental health. I mean, like to me it was more of inferiority complex. I was comparing myself a lot with other kids in my age where they had more privilege to go to college right away, had cars, and 
I didn't. So, did you have some mental blocks or maybe struggle in your head comparing to maybe other kids who are convinced you? Oh yeah, of course. I'm not gonna lie, say I did not. Um, I think most of the kids, especially in the school I was going to, the Boston Architectural College, a majority of the students are immigrants. Um, and they were struggling a lot and they did the same. They compared themselves, you know, like with other students. But then there were some immigrant students that their parents are very, very well off. Um, and their projects always turn out the best because they had more money to spend on the materials to build these projects. And, you know, I, I would try to block it, but human nature, um, it, it is what it is. We all do it. We all, you know, if Todd crossed the street, buys a boat, it feels like you want a boat now. Um, that's how it is. But I try to block it off. I try to do the best I can, you know, and just tell myself it is what it is. But it was difficult. It was difficult in college where I had, you know, I didn't have such a good grade, not because of my skills, but because of my funds. And I think a lot of people wouldn't understand that if they're not coming from my, from my you know, aspect of life. It's very difficult. Now, when we have a conversation, I start to think about my youth. And I was struggling with money. Like I still do, but not at that level of being homeless and had no money whatsoever. And that is just devastating. And you work, but you can only work so much. And it makes you feel a certain way about yourself. Yeah, that is true. When, um, you know, you limit, like, like I said earlier, um, when I was doing the Uber drive, you make good money, but then you got to stop because you have six hours before school to finish your work. Um, then you go and do your work, you take up the whole six hours and school is the next class is another hour. So now you're tired, you're sleeping in class, you know, teachers say, wake up, if you can't wake up, you got to leave. So it's, it's just a revolving wheel that just, you know, effect after effect. And it just keeps, it's the same thing day in, day out. You got to work, school, you know, you have to sleep. So it's hard to manage with time management. I think time management was worse than the money management. My aspect when I was in college, it was just, you know, backbreaking for me. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Now, do you mind to touch base a little bit of your listening that happened um, about your cousin? That's how I met you at Lover and Gold Love Life Now Foundation Gala. You're one of the guests. Would you mind to share our audience about that adversity? Yeah, I'll share, no worries. Um, so, you know the story, let me just start from the top. Uh, Larissa Barrows, my first cousin, uh, moved out from Massachusetts to Florida at the age of three. She was raised and she grew up in Florida and the Ponciana area, about 40 minutes from Orlando. Um, you know, she's a great student, a great person overall. She, help out as much as she can. And unfortunately, 
uh, two weeks before graduation and prom and a week before Mother's Day, uh, Larissa Barrows was killed by her strange boyfriend in her own house um, while holding uh, her nephew in one arm and trying to defend himself, defend herself from the strange boyfriend. Um, uh, he did kill himself after he killed Larissa Barrows. She was dead on the scene. Um, it was just, but before that, of course, there was, you know, some abuse going on. He set a car on fire. Uh, he would go and stalk her. And, you know, he played, he played his part as acting like he was, a, you know, the perfect boyfriend. And, you know, he apologized before. The, set, the worst thing is that he apologized about what he was doing to the mother a week before he killed Larissa and shot her, you know. It, it was just a sad story overall because Larissa was, uh, she was first in the class before all the stalking happened. She had to drop to three, you know, it just took a toll on her. She had to go to court. It was very stressful for her. She was not used to this type of situations. You know, she never lived this type of situation. Um, you know, it was just sad because just overall, she was, you know, going to college, full scholarship, Florida State University. And all that was just taken so fast away from her, so young, 17 years old, turning 18, and just took it away from her. So I just, you know, at, at Laverne, Laverne's um, White Ribbon Gala, I just wanted to speak out and show women and or girls in this world that, you know, that's not right, the abuse verbally, mentally, whatever it is, uh, physically, that there are men out here that, you know, will help you and protect you from these other crazy men that try to hurt or kill, kill women or girls, uh, to leave your, your relationship if you are in danger. I know it's easier to say than done because men tend to lie a lot, um, say, you know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And the girls tend to believe this men, these men, um, you know, but at the end, it's just a facade that they're showing, but the inside is all lies. And, you know, before the truth really reveals itself, you, should, you know, get protected and leave the relationship if you are in that type of situation. But, you know, it, it's not, it's easier said than, than done. Yeah, it, it is very heartbreaking and I'm very sorry for the loss. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. So I want to shift our conversation to the tools that you use to overcome these adversities. So let's break it down to the first part of the adversity, which was the financial um, struggle. And you have to, you happen to start to work at really early age and be independent and had the struggles. What are the tools you use to overcome these challenges? Yeah, one of the tools that I, I use was um, education. Um, I educated myself how to open up a business, how to run a business, and how to make sure the business stays open and maintain it. Um, 
I know how to get EIN. I know how to get my business registered with the states, any state. And, and what comes with the business, for example, trucking industry, there's a lot more to it. You need a motor carrier number. You need a Department of Transit number, the Department of Transportation number. And you make sure that you stay in compliance with the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration. And this is all the stuff I educated myself on to make sure that my business stays active in, in, and in compliance in order for me to create or generate funds for me and my family whenever needed. Um, so education is power, essentially. Um, if you are very educated and smart, you have a lot of power because your mind brings more than you can ever imagine. That is very empowering. Thank you so much for sharing that, Michael. And I know you started your own business and you ran for the council. How did running for the political council maybe help you to advocate for other people or overcome your adversities as maybe the tools to be the voice for others? Yeah, well, um, like I said, I was born and raised in Broxton. I'm 30 years old. I never moved out, actually, except for one year. I did go to New Bedford for one year. But out of the 29 years, I didn't see no change in Brockton, and Brockton really wasn't getting the fair share in funds from the state. Um, so I wanted to run and make a difference, not only for me, but for my whole community and everyone that lives in here. So I thought running for council is a way to do it so I could be the voice of the people um, and try to get what is you know, needed for the city funds, um, you know, proper tools to educate others. Cause like I said, education is power, um, and make sure that we have the right necessities in the city to live uh, a good life for each and in, each individual person in the city. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Now let's actually move on to what causing death by domestic violence. I know it affected you in many ways, and now you're advocating for her at an event like Lauren Gordon's Love Life Now Foundation Gala. For you, what are the tools that you're using um, to be an advocate for your cousin? Uh, the tool that I'm using is my voice, or honestly, just my voice, speak out. If I see something wrong in a relationship, I try to speak out, um, you know, not trying to be very hostile about the situation, because sometimes I might think that someone is in a bad relationship. Um, you know, if you see a girl with a bruise all the time, her face is always cut, stuff like that, you might assume that, you know, she's in a very bad uh relationship um so you, you gotta you know know how to come out and address that situation with that person and be like hey listen uh, if you have any issues any problems or anything like that you know we're here to help and the other two is just being involved with laverne like you said at the white ribbon gala just speaking out and letting other other women know that there are men like me out here that will help try to help you as well, you know, to fight domestic violence and uh, 
whenever I could just volunteer my time with Laverne, I'll try to do that. And those are just the tools I use, but overall, it's mostly my voice. Well, thank you so much, Michael, for saying that. So the last question that I have is a text that came from the adversity. So would you share with our audience what uh, maybe the gifts that came from it? Yeah, um, the gifts that came is just independence. Uh, you know, I'm very independent now. Um, for me, living through the struggle and realizing what I need to do to accomplish my goals in life uh, made me very independent. I don't have to depend on no one, which is, you know, a good thing. You feel good about yourself. You come a long way from struggling, from having maybe six shirts to wear a week to having 50, 40 shirts you can change from. Uh, a couple pair of shoes, you know. My hair is not cut right now, but I'm very busy, but usually, you know, I have my hair cut, my beard trimmed, and, uh, you know, you feel, you feel good about yourself. And when you feel good about yourself, you release good into the world. So it's just, it's a good thing. So that's one of the gifts, you know. Um, and another gift is meeting people throughout these bad situations. I met Laverne, I met Caroline, and I met you at that event. And, um, you know, I follow you on Facebook. You, you gave me a lot of good things from Facebook, like that movie event sign up. Um, I did. So there's always good things that come from it. And I appreciate everything that you do, Laverne does, and Caroline does. Well, that's so nice of you to acknowledge that. Thank you so much. And I feel the same way. A lot of adversity that I went through, it led me to this podcast and then gave me a reason to meet somebody like you, a lot of inspirational people. But not only that, I feel going through adversity as tough as it is, it gives you like you said, independency and also compassion and understanding what they really feel and then be able to be there for them and to the point that when you are established, you can leverage somebody's lives and see that you can be the voice for them and you can bring them to the other side of the adversity. Yeah, for sure. You're 100% right about that. Um, like I said, it's it's a, it's an honor. Even though, you know, there's always good things that come from the bad. Uh, I never understood that when I was younger. But the more older I get, you start realizing, oh, yes, that is a true statement. Very true. As you can see. It's very hard when you're in the middle of the storm to see the other side of the good day, the right side. But you and I know through this conversation, which I truly appreciate, that people who may be going through the struggle right now, people like us who came out of it and then learn something and feeling this gap, you can get through it. Michael, thank you so much again. 
And before you leave, I would like you to give some advice or encouragement word to the audience who might be struggling in their life right now. Yeah, my word of encouragement, it will be just um, don't give up. Don't give up on anything you have. Have hope. Um, you know, no one's perfect, um, especially not me. I was at a point in my life and I felt hopeless. Um, I wanted to just give up, you know. Uh, and I was like, you know what? Just got to continue. Stay strong because there's always someone in this world that needs you more than you need them and someone that always will love you. So um, don't feel like you're useless or you're hopeless because that's, you know, there's someone in this world that really admires you, really appreciate what you were doing in this life that you have. So um, just try to stay strong. I know, like I said, it's easier said than done, but for a person like me, come from very hard times in my life, you know, from uh, some injuries I had what left me scars. I felt very, you know, down about my, myself um, at a point. I didn't even want to go, you know, in public to the beaches and stuff. I came over everything. I came over and I feel real good about myself. I'm always happy. You know, um, I try to stay happy as much as I can. I don't let things stress me. Because at the end of the day, you have you have one life. Um, and I tell people all the time, money, you know, I watched the movie, uh, Bo, and the father always told them, you know, the money's not real. And I never understood that. I was like, of course money's real. You need money. But all this, you know, I'm starting making more money. I realized, yeah, money, money's not real. Because I got my niece, I got my nephew. They love me. They have no idea. I don't have to buy them anything. They'll love me just for the person I am, um, you know, and all that. So I just tell people, you know, just stay strong. Try to get by whatever you're getting by. And don't lose hope. Thank you so much for sharing that. That really touched my heart. Yeah. Well, thank you, Michael, again, for coming to Adjustment University. And thank you for our audience for tuning in. And I have more guests coming in and I really appreciate everyone and have a wonderful night. Thank you for having me. Have a wonderful night, Jury. Thank, Thank you. you. Stay blessed.